Hey, Tony, how you doing, man? I'm good. Are we recording? Are we recording? We, we are. are. All right, we're going. All right, here we are. Woo-hoo. We are getting started with episode 10, Tony. Can you That's imagine right, we've got 10. 10 episodes here? And uh, can I just say, it's just about 10 in the morning right now. We are doing an early episode because- It's hot. It's hot. And this week we are recording, and this will be playing in a couple of weeks, is the first week that we would normally start tour. And yeah, it's going to be 104 today. You told me this story. I thought this was fascinating about Arizona, the first stop. You got to say that. Yeah, well, I'd always say that, you know, in my mind that we had, we really had to watch the weather, you know, and as the tours went on and I'd been out on Lollapalooza and then Warp Tour was we always had a saying, you had to be through Phoenix by June 30th. <laughs> yes. And then we kind of backed that up to June 20th. And now we're looking at, I think since the first, week of June, it's been over 110 degrees in Phoenix. I think it's 114 degrees. In yeah. I so, mean, you know, I, I was looking at it and, you know, we would a lot of times start this week in Pomona and today we would have been probably loading the trucks over at the warehouse and it was 104 in the valley. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, so, you know, anyone who thinks that the climate is not changing. Oh, it's changing. It's, so concert it's tours, changing. This moral of this story is concert tours should start in May. Well, I think it's also, you know, I think it's, you know, also cognizant as we, we talk about going to greener tours, we're trying to green tours. Why do we need so many semi-trucks on a tour? The, the future production managers are going to be the ones who can do it more efficiently, right? more with less. It always was more and more. And everyone would brag, like, I have 78 trucks on tour, 23 trucks on tour. I want to see the badass arena tours with six trucks on tour. That's going to be the future of touring. Yeah, but see, I need my bubble effects and I need my smoke machines and we need fire. Well, you need that, but you can do it more efficiently. So I think if I was a young production manager right now and you wanted to be a leader in the thing, I would start to learning how to do things more. Great efficiencies within the tour environment. Because you could do all these things. You could recycle plates backstage. You can do all these things. But really what we have to do is get a few less vehicles on the road. Do you see what happens to Kevin Lyman when you just say, damn, it's hot today? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I start thinking about all those things. And, and it is hot. It is hot today. But before we get started, I want to present our great uh, you know, producer, uh, Xavier, with something. Because I always like when I give him something. Because he got a pair of van shoes the other day. And he was super excited. So let's see how excited he gets when I give him this, okay? So um, our friends at Liquid Death. Oh, that's bitching, dude. Our friends at Liquid Death sent this over. Um, a Deathmate Igloo. So we're going to present that to you, Xavier. That's awesome. He's super excited. He's like, this kid is like, yeah. you know, it's like great. So he gets a new thing to keep him cool during these hot summers. Have fun dying, kid. Today's episode was spawned a few weeks ago. Someone sent me a TikTok. And it was about a parent at Warp Tour. You know, if, if any of you haven't seen this TikTok, it's it's fantastic. The Warp Vans Warp Tour. And what happened that day? She liked it. She, she fucking picks the Vans Warp Tour. I'm thinking, okay, how bad can it be? <laughs> we get there at 11. They open at 11. They go until 9 o'clock at night. I get in there, and I'm a prisoner. And then it's 90 degrees. It's hot. It's miserable. And you got them bands that don't know how to carry a tune in a bucket. They're mosh-pitting people. People are sweating balls. <laughs> So now I'm hot and I'm miserable and you wanted to see some particular band and I'm like, well, let's get there early. It was the most miserable day of my life. So I'm standing there and I'm sweating balls and I hate when people touch me anyway, as much less when you're hot. 
So I'm standing off to the side, minding my own business, and the band comes on. All of a sudden, some son of a bitch behind me wants to take a picture before cell phones. He's got a camera. He mounts it on my shoulder to take a photograph. I turn around and I was so, I was so beyond mad by that time and sweating balls. I turn around. I said, what are you doing? Hey, she's going to take a picture. I said, I'm going to take that camera and I'm going to smash it. I said, I'm going to smash your fucking camera. I said, you touch me one more time. And then he's like, oh, sorry, ma'am. I'm like, bitch. Oh, my God. I wanted to kill somebody that night. It was so awful. And then, you know what? They had one band that was popular that were coming out. The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Is that the name of them? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm sure. I'll never forget it. And you said, I want to stay for the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. I'm like, they're not on till 8 o'clock at night. I've been here since 11. I said to the guy, there's got to be a beer stand in here, right? He's like, oh, yeah, we sell beer. I said, oh, great. Where is it? There's one beer stand. It's completely all the way. Of course, I found it. Eight bucks a beer. But guess what? It was worth it. There's a re-endorsement for the Warp Tour, huh? For, for those of you who are wondering whatever happened to Snooky when she grew up, you know, she had a few kids that brought her to the Warp no, Tour one day. No, she's very sweet. Yeah, so, you know, I think... She enjoyed uh, the beer. Yeah, so... Hey, but then, you know, it was so I, it got me thinking about a lot of people were wondering because it was, you know, at times I took a lot of crap for like embracing parents and things. But it was a conscientious decision because I started to look at festival culture in America and realizing that, you know, at 19, most people are going to want to go take Molly and sit in the desert oh, God, and dance absolutely. to like. So th what's surprising yeah. about this is so, this is not the only TikTok that's out there like this for the Vans Warped Tour. No, there's a lot. There's a lot of them. There seems to be a lot of them going around during this but time. I, but I think it, I think the, the parents in that generation of those kids, like for me, they're Xers, right? And, and what I remember from concerts was a lot of drugs, a lot of craziness. And, and that's a generational thing that changed. I mean, listen, when I was in the 80s, I was going to go see Duran Duran. I was going to go see Wham. I mean, that was a new wave kid, right? And even at those concerts, it was sketchy wild. So Motley Crue in the 80s, that was like, and, and I know you're super excited about an upcoming festival that's, oh, that's being right. referred to around Southern California as Old Person's Old Festival. Person's so festival it makes sense now, Tony, you know? That but what I'm go. saying is I, I today, as, as an exer, knowing what concerts, my 14-year-old, I would be scared to death to let them go to any concert. So this episode is, we went out, reached out on social media, and I'm sorry I couldn't interview everyone because we were trying oh, to yeah. interview everyone, so but many. I did about 20 interviews for this episode. And uh, we talked to lots of parents. We talked to people who worked in the reverse daycare center, which we'll talk about. But, you know, we just got her opinion of Warp Tour, but there was a person that was always someone we looked forward to. And uh, his name was Daddy Jerry. So I connected with Daddy Jerry and ask him what brought him to the first Warp Tour. We'd gone to a couple of shows. You know, I took the boys. They always wanted to see punk bands. And sometimes bands would say, hey, we're coming back this summer. We'd go around the back of the venue and meet them. I mean, you know, I was like the dad in charge. But I'd love to see the, all the kids get the experience of, like, meeting a band. And, you know, as long as I was with them, I felt safe. Like, over in Philly at the TLA or the Troc or some of the smaller venues, the Electric Factory. And some bands would say... Hey, you know, we're coming to the Warp Tour this summer. Come see us. And I think that's how that happened. And I believe that's how we met Lisa Brownlee before we met her on the Warp Tour. She was out managing one-man army. 
And we saw her on South Street, right? It, um, no. Or we saw her at the truck, one or the other. It's the electric factory. It was less than G. Okay. So. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where, you know. Get it straight, people Dad. People oh, yeah, we're coming. You should come on the Warped Tour this summer. So we went. Um, what built from there was that I realized that when you, you know, people were really good to the kids. You know, they gave them stickers. They gave them merch and swags. We got all these epitaph bags and water pistols and you know vans vans guys always gave out tons of stickers and you know two t-shirts for eight dollars and that kind of stuff and i always said i'm going to come back i'll bring you something next year so that's what we started with i started with donuts and snacks and then somehow we met you and it got to the point where i'll bring you some donuts i'll bring you some pretzels so we got to the point at the top you know i was bringing like a hundred soft pretzels three dozen or four dozen of these cream donuts, the best of South Jersey. And then, you know, I'd go walk up to the people at the guards and say, I'm going to the production room. I'm here to see Lisa Brownlee or Kevin Lyman. They were great. They always let us in. And once we got the okay, we'd say, would you like a donut? Would you like a pretzel? Or we'd take some Gatorades. And next thing you know, it just happened that way. And you guys were always really great to the kids. And all the people in the venue from the work tour were great to the kids. And I always felt like I... I wanted to give that back, and I did the next year. We know how to sneak backstage. Like, you know, the best way I always said was get a Domino shirt and a couple empty pizza boxes, walk in with an empty guitar case. Jerry had donuts. donuts he, you know, get him backstage. You can bribe your way past any He's backstage gate man. in the country right now. What city was it? Was it? Did he travel to all this? No, city? Jerry's one of those great people from South Jersey, Philly area. All you right. know, big personality, big man, great person. And uh, how do you, I always wondered how he became Daddy Jerry in the music business. I always liked taking the kids. And when the kids really got older, I would take the nieces and nephews. Um, there was a buddy from Goodwill that heard that I go to the tour and um, he heard about my name. He said, how'd you get this name, Dad Jerry? And I got that from Vinny from Less Than Jake, you know, from going over and watching and standing on the side of the stage. And he said, hey, Dad, what's your name? I said, well, my name's Jerry. He said, well, you're Dad Jerry for now. And that's kind of how you know, connected. And I started when somebody said, who are you? I said, I'm Dad Jerry. And that's, you know, on the work I was always Dad Jerry's. But Jerry was, was, was super, super cool. And it was like, you kind of look forward to it. And I always called it the, the, the food run. Like you would hit the East coast. Like, you know, it was like Philadelphia, Jerry would be there with all this stuff. Oh, then, cool. then we would go up to uh, Long Island, either Nassau or Jones beach. And then the crew from Brooklyn would come out and they'd bring out, you know, pasta and they knew I like pickles and my refrigerator would be stacked with jars of fresh pickles. And, and was this early on in the it, tour when it, he started it doing started this? fairly, it started, you know, probably mid doing, but he kept coming and it was funny because even his kids like started to have other interests, but he kept coming. He kept coming. Oh, awesome. I probably went to everyone from 99 through 2006 or 2007 and then I did the last one um, and maybe like one or two here and there, or, or like, I just, you know, I think the years that my dad did it by himself, he'd be like, Oh, well, can you at least wake up at six in the morning and help me <laughs> deliver the donuts and pretzels? <laughs> or like, I guess I'll, I'll do that before I go to work. You know, <laughs> it's like, his kids are like, I got to, I got a real life now. I can't be going to an all day music festival during the week because That's we were funny. in Philadelphia on a weekday. You know, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I had to kind of conscientiously like say, for me, it was important to embrace these parents because I felt that they were going to be willing to come with the kids earlier 
Um, and then these ba- the kids will support the music scene that I was part of. Yeah, 100%. They were still buying CDs. They were still buying records. They wanted to support with merchandise. They wanted to support these things. Um, we could have become a nostalgia tour, and we'll talk about, you know. Yeah, Wiki. and, you know, I've experienced this firsthand. So when I went and saw up in San Francisco the very last show, you know, my wife and I came, and we brought our 13-year-old kid. And we were there all day, and he had a blast. And he it, it opened up his mind to all these bands that he had never even heard of before. And then he, then he started picking up the guitar and playing their tunes. And I'm like, dude, that's a 20-year-old band. So I, I understand how it was different than what I thought, of what I experienced growing up and going to concerts in my mid to, to late teens. It, it was a family experience. We had a great day. It was amazing. You know, we caught up with, you know, how, what age was people starting to think about coming to Warp Tour? Right. And um, Amy and her mom, Haley, you know, kind of touched on that. The rule was we started taking them to concerts when they were 13 because 13, they're a little bit more self-sufficient. You know, it, it seemed a little safer because they can, can, can communicate with us. Um, you know, if, if they feel uncomfortable or anything is, is a little makes them, you know, feel a little off. So um, we started taking all of them. And then with her being the baby, she'd kind of seen the boys and heard all of our stories because I, I took every single one of them as soon as they hit 13 to warp Tour because I had gone previous to that and absolutely loved the experience and wanted them to be able to to have that experience firsthand. Sometimes I don't remember those interactions with people I had, but somehow Haley stood out to me. You had came up to me and you had asked if I was photo passed. And I was like, no, no, security just let me bring this in. And I knew who you were. So I was a little nervous. I was like, I hope he's not going to kick me on my camera. You were so sweet. You were like, you're the youngest photographer I think I've ever seen out here. Is this something you're serious about? We just had a little conversation side stage. And I told you, like, this is my dream. I want to tour. I want to be with the bands. I want to shoot the bands. I want to show the bands raw emotions all the time. And you were like, well, if this is something that you're serious about, get a real camera, invest in it. And here's my personal email next year. I want you to hit me up for a photo pass early. And as soon as that photo pass date marked, I was on it. I sent it. I said, I got a real camera. Can we do this? And you were like, absolutely. Here you go. Here's what you need. I got you all set on my end. You got you all set on your end. Let's do the dang thing. And that whole year, she really did take your advice to heart. I went to as many local shows as possible. I shot so many bands for free. I was like, please just let me put you in my portfolio. You can have free images from the show. We would drive four to six hours almost every every weekend. And that's one way. Photos, like to me, it's a memory. Like all these things where they don't let you take photos at concerts and things like that. It was like. I want these kids to take something home, yep. knowing that a lot of them were coming to their first show. And, you know, it was before you'd get Instamatic cameras mm-hmm. and you'd get them developed and then you would, but those are the creating memories of your first concert. Sure. Um, so for me, it was like really important. Let them bring their cameras in. It was also, you know, why kids wanted to get into photography of shooting bands, mm-hmm. give them a shot. And, you know, we also had it with press. If, if you had a library card with a story, to me, you were as equal to Rolling Stone at that point. Right. And later on, it was really interesting because people would tell me like, hey, it's hard to write bad things about you because you gave me my first my first chance to interview a band. So 
I need to talk to you. Maybe there's something controversial I need to talk to you about. But I'm very open-minded to this because I know that you, with good intentions, and something could happen. So it was really cool because these kids would be writing for Spin, Rolling Stone, yeah. some of the big you know, right. websites later on. And they say they got their first interview at Warped Tour. So you start building a resume. You know, that's the hardest part as a teacher. I see all these jobs and they say, need experience, one to three years or two years. Right. And, you know, Warp was able to give people that experience. The changes that you had to make within your tour to accommodate this generation and to infuse it with, with younger kids, I think was extremely inventive. Well, you know, and, and that's why I think that's, I think, well, that was one of the keys why we lasted 25 years. Exactly. We expected them to move on and out. Like I said, these other festivals, there, mm -hmm. there, there's so many great festivals of out course. there. And you want those experiences of camping and doing all those kind of things. But, you know, it was interesting because, you know, some parents, you know, I checked in with Amanda and, and Linda Ludwig and uh, they I checked in with them. They were great because uh, maybe had a more typical response of a parent who was thinking about bringing their kids to Warped Tour. I was expecting, you know, what we had in the 70s, you know, the craziness, the drugs, the drinking. Um, yeah. And it, it wasn't that at all. It was a lot of SUVs that say, you know, my kid is a orchestra kid or, you know, my kid this and it was um it was really nice to see that the kids were all just normal kids just like the ones that I had in my car she definitely let me go out on my own or at least told me she did whether she was following me from 10 feet behind I'm not sure um but I for the most part we just I had a little group of people and um we all went off on our own to the sets that we wanted to see you know a lot of that conception of being 13 and 14 and even 16 you know being with your parents at a concert, at least for me, was was not cool. And that's changed a lot now. Yeah, and then that's something conscientiously I was like, wow, you know, this is, you know, as I would watch and, and people would always say, like, get mad at me. Like, I'd say I'd watch things, but I was watching the audiences all the time. I was watching the interactions and I saw that, you know, Kids were like, especially during as the economy got a little funky, mm -hmm. you know, we went through periods of time, boom and bust on work, yeah. political things. But as the economy went, families were willing to kind of pull together like we're seeing during the pandemic. I right. think, you know, we're opening up in, in California, but is everyone just scattering all over again? I think there's a lot of families that are like good, solid Sticking units together. now have, yeah. have stuck together through this. And we'd see that on this. And. And uh, Tori and Jackie had some stuff to say about this. I think Warped Tour was the first music festival I ever went to. And um, I remember hearing some friends in high school talking about it. I was probably in ninth grade, 2009. Um, and we were all doing a school project. And my mom overheard us talking about Warped Tour. She's like, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but of course, I was intrigued. So then it was the following year, 2010. So I was 14 going on 15 the first year we went. She was young and I really didn't know what we were getting into. And I heard about moshing and crowd surfing, you know, the comments from kids in her high school. And of course, she's my baby, so I want everything to be okay. I never really went to, I mean, I went to concerts, but never music festivals. I was born and raised in Brazil. So I, Tori knows, I have some history. I love music. I always have. And it's interesting because when Tori was little, um, as a mom, it's sort of like music disappeared from my 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 life, really. And all of a sudden, you're a mom, and she has a brother a little bit older. So I, 
growing up myself as a teenager, I went to a lot of rock concerts. I actually, Tori knows, I saw Queen in concert when I was 18 years old back in Brazil with Freddie Mercury. Like I have so many great memories of my, but now when it's your baby, um, you know, I had some concerns, but honestly, the, the first year, what do you, so you said it was 2010, Tori? 2010. Yeah. That was the first year we went in St. Pete. Yeah. And it was, wow. It was a crazy warp tour. Cause there was a tropical storm going on and it was just like, whoa, that was like crazy wind all day and rain. And that was the very first one I took her to. And I thought it was amazing. You know, it was, it was different. I guess different than than I expected. Not really. I don't know. It was super fun. I love. I always loved the music, all the bands. Tori used to listen to it all the time, and it sort of reconnected me to music, which growing up I loved. So I was just a little concerned before I got there. But it's like everything in life, you know. If you sit and think about it, it sounds really scary. But when you experience, like, well, this is this is actually, this is actually fun. So I had to behave like a mom. I couldn't show that I was having too much fun, but I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> I had to behave exactly. like a mom. You know, that like, was moms can't one. have fun. You know? I know, but that, that was her, her perspective because she did go back and she said, I remember when I went back to those concerts and oh my God, it was wild. And as a parent, you freak out. I totally get that. And, and but you got to let go a little bit or your kids are going to hate you for the rest of their lives. You know, and then, you know, it's one of those things that's like the next family I spoke to was, was awesome because like this is once they committed to doing this, they went through a whole hell of a lot to get there. The first year that I wanted to go, the All-American Rejects were playing. And I wanted to see them so bad, but I think I was probably like 14 in high school at the time and we hadn't been to any shows yet or anything like that. So I don't know that my mom was really on board. I didn't know how buying tickets to shows even worked. Um, So we didn't end up going that year, but we did start going to other shows, which led to us befriending a local band who then the next year actually played at Warped Tour. So by the time we got to that, my biggest hesitation was I had no idea what all the rules were. So I had looked online. We didn't have cell phones back then. Some people did, but we didn't. Um, How was I going to keep track of, of, you know, where everybody was? It said, don't bring a camera. So I didn't bring any camera. I have no pictures from the first year because I didn't realize that everybody brought their little, back then, little digital cameras in and took pictures. I didn't buy tickets ahead of time. And actually, my husband was giving us a ride to drop me and Miguel and Patty off. And his truck broke down about 30, 40 miles outside of getting to Nissan. And I figured, well, we were able to get to a rest stop. And I figured, well, other people will be stopping here going to Warp Tour. So I actually still have the need a ride to Warp Tour sign <laughs> that we held up in the rest stop. And my biggest fear was we would get there and it would be sold out and we wouldn't be able to get in. But we did. We stood in line and we got tickets. And um, I want um, to mention that we abandoned my father at a rest stop. Nice. Yeah, we left him there. But it was also that experience that filtered down to their next generation that was so cool to me like 
a younger brother or sister? I had originally heard about Warped Tour through my sister. Uh, being the younger brother, I sort of just like kind of followed in her footsteps. She had gone to a couple shows before me and then hung out with all these skater kids. And I remember hearing about Warped Tour like from them as like this sort of like mecca of music and hearing that they had a half pipe there and mosh pits and like all this stuff to like a 12 year old at the time. I was just like, what are you even talking about? It just seemed like a mythical sort of place. And yeah, I guess that might've been, what was that? 2005 was our first year that we went? 2004. 2004. Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah. So I guess that's sort of how I piggybacked on the whole thing. And it wasn't until after that first year that I really got into music myself, but it was really sort of through my sister and, you know, tagging along to these shows and getting in the mosh pit at 13 to that really made me like fall in love with it. So later on, I just went on to found my own band called the Baby Grand sort of at the end of high school. Um, we were ended up, you know, just playing in our basement. Then we ended up playing some shows around the area, bars in D.C. and around Maryland. And eventually, a couple of years later, we actually got the opportunty to come back and play at Warp Tour, which ah, was just like awesome. a surreal moment in itself. Yeah. A lot of kids came to Warp Tour and got inspired to pick up instruments. And that's why the production, it always felt like a backyard party. When you right. go to a big show, big production, it's intimidating. But I always wanted it to feel that you could be on this stage, you could be working at it, you could be in that booth, you could be doing something. This girl, like Haley, who I, we talked about earlier, uh-huh. being 13 as a photographer, I met this young woman named Emma Sunut and, um, up in Canterbury, uh, Minnesota, at Canterbury Park, and uh, who eventually she ended up working in the reverse daycare center. But how did I meet um, Emma? She brought it up. I was probably 14 or 15 at that point. Um, I mean, I was thinking about it earlier this morning, and I started going to work when I think I was 11 or 12. Uh, so I had been there for a handful of years at that point, and I just saw you, and I think I had, you know, cans to skip the line or whatever. And I just walked up and said, hey, how you doing? Don't know if you get this enough, but like, thanks for what you do. Because like me and millions of other kids, like Warped was my one thing of the summer that I always look forward to. My mom, parents of Warped Tour, is incredible. She loves Warped just, I mean, just about as much as I do. Um, So the first year we went was in Chicago, uh, because I'm from Iowa. And the following years after that, we did come up to Minnesota, which is where I ended up living. I live here now. Um, which is about a three and a half, four hour drive. Uh, some years we woke up at the crack of dawn and just hit the road. Some years we came up the night before. Um, but it's great having a mom that's just as into it as you are. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, whine the whole time and is super amped on seeing, you know, whoever she's stoked to see that year. When you go to a normal venue, they're going to be, it's built to, to handle people with disabilities and right. wheelchairs and right, things. Right, right. You're, you're opening up a parking lot. We were in a parking lot. We were fields and things. So we kind of had a rule at the front gate with Sully and my security guards. We always walked around with a, a packet of backstage passes. Right. Um, and we, as soon as we, if we saw anyone that might have a rough time that day, it was like slam a pass on them, give them some extra access, let them know that we're around if you need any help. And... And then I, you know, so one time, the, the next person I, I met, her name is Bella. And, and Bella was very interesting. And I've actually kept it in, in touch with Bella. And I met with her and her grandma recently when I was speaking out in Virginia pre-pandemic. And they drove out and had lunch with me. And she's really kind of blossomed from uh, her experience at Warp Tour. I would go to a concert every year for my birthday. And they brought me to Warp Tour. Did you have a good time? 
I mean, yeah, I did. Even the surgeon with a hot, really hot year. When her father passed away, my son, she came to live with me in 2015. And her music and I didn't get along well. And I told her she would have to wear headphones. I said, I'll change that. I said to my mom, like, I'll change that one. <laughs> so I agreed to um, take her in 2016. And it was amazing. I made it through the entire warp tour. And after that, I went to everyone after that and I'm still going to concerts with her now. Yep. Oh, I know awesome. we have a big one coming up in September. A couple of the band that I'm friends with are coming to Blue Ridge. We knew we were going to see her at what shows and, and her grandma was awesome. Like her, her grandmother started talking about the bands and what they saw and and how she got turned on to the music. And, so how this moves forward, though, uh, initially it became an all-access concert where, you know, younger kids can come with their parents. And there was that that anxiety I'm sure parents had of, should I let my kid go or not go? What's the right age, 16 or 18? Or or it really well, depends on the kids. And, and, and territorial, it was different. You know, like, yeah, oh, you know, regionally, the Midwest had different values, values and, you know, you're in New York and the kids are eight years old taking the trains out to Long Island. You know, they're jumping off the trains but with their skateboards. Understanding that, understanding that this was important to continue for the festival to grow. What did you do? What changes did you make specific to this issue that 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 changed the well, Warped Tour well, we forever? We were traveling and we were taking this show, like I always say, to cities that didn't get shows. Right. So we started, we were going to Montana. We were passing through Montana and we were doing some shows and we were at a, a small fairgrounds and we're talking these shows weren't like the West Coast shows where there was, you know, at that point, you know, 15, 20,000 people coming out to the shows. We're not, you know, a, a good day at a small fairground in Billings, Montana was like three, 4,000 people. Yeah, it's a good day. But... I'd be walking around and I really noticed like along the fence one day, like all these people sitting in their beach chairs and just sitting there. Who are these people? And I, so I walked over and, and I, I right away picked up that they were parents that were reading books or say, but they're sitting in the hot sun. They're like <laughs> sitting out there. And I started asking them about, you know, why, you know, why'd you bring your kids to the, and they go, look, we're not letting them go to a music festival. Straight up. Straight up. We're not. So they insisted, they screamed, you know, there. I want to be there, um, you know, with them. And I was sitting there and I, so I, you know, that summer I came up with an idea called it the reverse daycare center. <laughs> and, uh, you know, check your parents and we'll watch them while you have a good time. <laughs> um, there was some stuff about putting, you know, sometimes they would have parents' rooms at venues and things. Sure. But I was like, I want to put this right in the middle of the festival grounds. That's right. And because I wanted the parents to kind of hear the music and hear what young people are singing about. You know, it might not be what you like, but they're just as passionate as when you were listening to Bob Dylan or something, whatever. You know, and I, we're still going through Montana, which I got in trouble once because I, we, we'd always lose. We'd lose like $100,000 a show in, in Montana. But it'd be like one day I had in the press, I said, best thing in Montana is fishing, not punk rock. And, uh, you know, it was like, you know, some kids got pissed off at me for that. But, you know, it was, it was true. So I came home, I said, let's do this thing called the reverse daycare. And of course, with everything on Warp Tour, we, we tried to go out and get some sponsors for it. And this led to one of those branding moments uh, with, with when Target came in and was the sponsor for us. Brilliant. And, and, Who else and, did you pick? Target's well, perfect for yeah, that. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of people going to get pissed off and everything, but I tried to integrate them in a, in, a, in a way. So, you know, when we went with the bullseye with no Target under, I said, 
putting a bullseye in the middle of the festival grounds. The parents might relate to Target subliminally that they were here and the kid meet me at the bullseye. You know, like if you're at the L.A. County Fair, you meet the family at the clock tower. There's always like the location. Meet me at the Matterhorn or wherever you're at at Disney World. And what a brilliant marketing campaign. You could go to somebody like a Target or something similar to that and say, I have this parent daycare. This is an em- uh, economic demographic that is going to be here locked in the position and you're sponsoring it and they have the wherewithal to spend money at your so, facility. So I would be like, you know, Emma, who we, we heard from, she worked in the daycare center and uh, Tiffany was a, a, a person who worked in the daycare center. I started in 2014. I started for just the West Coast states. You brought me on as a little experiment with uh, my peer safety volunteer team. Um, and I started that for 2014. Then 15 and 16, I was the reverse daycare manager. And then uh, <laughs> 17 and 18, I was your volunteer coordinator. This is a thing, man. You had titles and stuff. Work. Yeah, it was a paid That's job, cool. you know. You know, I'm hearing what, you know, kids get paid out of college these days. That was a good paying job yeah. back then, actually. <laughs> you know? so, it was funny how she related this job and she summed it up pretty good. I had a, a little bit of babysitting experience before then, uh, <laughs> but it was with mostly about three or four year olds. And uh, I had never experienced anything with about 40 to 50 year olds before. So it was a whole new experience for me. I think the four and five year olds, they listen a little bit more. <laughs> they're a little bit better at listening. Uh, they'll follow the rules. I think the 40 and 50 year olds, they're, they're more inclined to do what they feel like they want to do. And they don't want someone that's their kid's age or a little bit older telling them what to do. So uh, I'd rather stick with the kids, but the parents were fun overall. <laughs> you know, so it was always we would find someone with a good attitude. Sure. And this probably, I mean, initially how Warp Tour started and how it became, this changed the culture a little bit at Warp Tour, didn't it? It did. You know, I took crap for it from like the hardcore punk scene. Like, oh, you know, what are your parents on. encouraging parents to do that thing? But, you know, I've always said, like, you know, in life, it was like the problem with punk rock was punk rock was hard. Being a punk rock person was not easy. You know, getting old in punk rock is is really really hard. hard. And then then a few times I had to tell people also being ignorant in punk rock was pretty Mm -hmm. bad, too. You put all three of those and those were a bad thing. So it was kind of one of those things that, look, I always loved and now you wish. But if you weren't careful, it would become a nostalgia tour. You. You know, the crowd ages with your festival, the crowd ages. And and you see how the evolution of festivals, you know, what keeps things current is they they maybe pay they, paying homage to the past, bringing in some things. But, uh, I but, knew but, you were trying to you were afraid of it becoming that type of a festival. But I think you got the best of both worlds. I think you got the new generation coming in. But then also you had those veterans that just were really diehard warped to our folks as well. So I I think it's not bad to have a festival turn into a nostalgia festival, certainly. But you did both. In some ways it was, you know, and and, and there was times when it skewed maybe a little too, like it got super young. You right. Know? And, you know, and there was, there was some mistakes made, you know, at one point, you know, we're right in the midst of this TikTok thing. There was YouTube and I brought some of these YouTubers out and mm-hmm. they, it, probably the crowd wasn't ready to come to a music festival. Just, but I was trying so hard to help my friends break bands, break, build their labels, 
build an audience that would still stick with it for a while, that right. would be around this music for years and also come back to this festival. Because we would lose 20, 30% of the people would maybe age out of Warp Tour each year, but it was replaced by new people coming in. You know, and I looked at, you know, by embracing parents, I always felt that there was trend-setting parents in the neighborhood. And people that would step out and like, if I could get a parent, especially at that younger age, because a lot of parents wouldn't go. They were like, no right, way. Right. But if, you know, I said I was going to, br you know, bring some kids from the neighborhood and I will be the responsible parent. So it was really interesting. And, and uh, you know, Amy and Haley's mom was uh, that kind of person. We made it like an annual thing. So every year I would bring another one as soon as they turned 13. In fact, my, her cousins uh, you know, started asking their parents, can we go with that? Amy is, you know, and I was always like 13, you gotta be 13. So at any given work tour, I'd have between three and eight kids and we would load up oh, and, no. and do the thing. We, we drive to Phoenix, Las Vegas and Salt Lake City most years. Wow. That's committed. She went to three shows. That's think awesome. Think about that. Phoenix, Las Vegas. We're not talking. This is the hottest shows on the tour. The hottest shows on the planet to go to and mom's driving. The family truckster with like seven, eight kids, you know. You said you always tried to focus on the the parents that were proactive. You know, you could see that across the board with anything, like the parents that get involved with PTA, the parents that, that are, you know, building the community where we're washing cars to raise funds for those type of – so you actively sought out and focused on trying to get those folks involved? Absolutely, and, and creating that daycare center where they might – go in and get a little air conditioning. That was like the only air conditioned place the on the planet. <laughs> we would put some monster water in there. We, That's brilliant. You know, we'd put magazines. We'd also put issues from some of our nonprofits, maybe, you know, stuff that Planned Parenthood stuff or things that people were looking at that maybe wanted more information. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of in this situation where they have time to read about it. Right. Maybe they would go out to a booth, uh, you know, and then there was like the, the, the fans who like, started prepping their parents like before they went like really <laughs> educating them on everything so it's kind of like your your teenager saying you know i really want to get this <laughs> so tori well, cut that you out know, <laughs> you know, i'm trying to say like you know mike's son wants something really bad like a video game or he'll start coming up to you and saying you know dad can i wash your car you, you look for you it'd be you look young today tony <laughs> <laughs> Dad, you look mighty young today. Your beard looks darker than normal. Yeah, those kind of things. We're all there. We've all been there with our kids. But, you know, Tori had, like, Tori's one of those people. She had a master plan. I remember I was counting down the days for months. Like, I would go to bed every night and be like, hey, 20 more days to work tour. It was, it was a whole thing the first year that I went. And I think, if anything, I was preparing her. Like, I actually remember showing her Tiffany Mace pit reports, her pit blogs beforehand to be like, hey, mom, so this is what it looks like. But I would make sure to show her the really nice ones, you know, with the softer bands. Like, look, see, no moshing, it's fine. Um, so I was sort of trying to ease her mind going into it. Actually, when we first got there, I never used my DSLR camera before. We had bought it for Warp Tour. I had a point and shoot beforehand. And I ran into Tiffany May, starstruck, and asked her how to use my camera so I could take a photo with her. So as soon as we got there, it just felt like a huge learning experience. And I mean... I saw some of my favorite bands that day. Got to interview the Somerset, the Cab, I believe. Um, we had a few interviews that day. And it was, I mean, I learned a lot. And it was really great having my mom there too, for sure. She was a good sport.
<laughs> I um, had started my own YouTube channel that year. So those are the, some of the first interviews that ever went on my YouTube channel. I think they're still there, unfortunately, but fortunately. Um, so I started doing interviews that day. And from then forward, I mean, it was it was pedal to the metal. So for about four years following that, I kept up my YouTube channel, built a really great following. And I mean, from the moment I got to Warp Tour, I knew one day I wanted to be the pit reporter. So I think everything on my own blog was leading up to that moment. I have to say, I, throughout the last 15 years, when people started posting a lot of YouTube videos, you had a string of kids that started their own YouTube channels, just walking around Warp Tour, explaining the bands that were coming up. And I'm fascinated. Some of the production quality on it's really good. They were, you know, and this is when they, they started having tools online. They could edit and things. And that was the evolution of like this camera coming. And then it was like video cameras, like really, you know, people are going to be able to do it off their phones, you know, yeah, well, you know they're, they're doing it now off their phones. editing it off their phones. And it was, you know, as the tour evolved, you know, it was it was great. And it was amazing how many, you know, kids I, I spoke to. And uh, Patriciana, uh, you know, continued this post-Warp tour. Well, I started taking pictures of bands locally just while they were playing their set. And then MySpace was a big thing back then. Um, they started asking me for the pictures from their show, from their sets, um, to add to their MySpaces. And then that led to me getting photo passes to shows and... I think 2005 was the first year that I actually got a photo pass to Warp Tour. Um, and that was probably one of the first times I had been in an actual photo pit. Um, and I still do concert photography to this day. I've been published in a few magazines, Revolver, Alternative Press, um, been on a bunch of websites mostly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it all started going to these smaller shows and, you know, shooting the smaller bands leading to, I was actually, I photographed, I think five dates, um, for alternative press had like a part of their website specifically for warp tour where they had coverage of every single date. So my mom and I went I think in 2009, maybe, um, and we went to five different dates in a row together. And I can't even remember how many bands I photographed, how many thousands of pictures that I took. Um, and every night you had to edit them and send them in before midnight, um, before getting on the road and driving to the next date and doing it all again the next day. It was almost like an internship program. Like a lot of these publications and magazines, they couldn't afford to have people come in and out. So they would recruit these people. Uh, it was in a summer internship program, like any other, a lot right. of times, I'm sure most of them weren't being paid, but mm -hmm. they got the, they, you know, got their stuff published and they were getting, credit for doing it, but, you know, to drive around to five shows and have to edit and things, they were on their own mini tour. That's that was, great. That was a crazy thing. Like, you know, you start seeing the same people in multiple dates coming in and out, um, you know, and then, you know, people got turned on to, you know, going to shows because not only did they just see all these bands, but these bands were coming through on tours, like pretty close behind. I thought it was completely strange the way he would go to these shows and he wanted to go to multiple shows in a month, every couple of weeks, that kind of thing. I was from the generation where we went to see Bruce Springsteen in Madison Square Garden, and you only went to a show like that maybe once a year. Um, so this was a totally new concept for me for these smaller bands and to go more often. When he said Starland Ballroom, right away, I was able to talk to him and go, you are in the hotbed. It's like, right, it's like New York, 
Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, all like Starland was like the hub. We're taking back Sunday. All these bands were coming out. And it was funny how Brian kind of like eased his family into some of the other bands he liked. (laughs) My sister was close behind me. Uh, Like I said, she was a big, really big Sleeping with Sirens fan at the time. Uh, I think she had just started to get into some pop punk, like the story so far. Um, But she was also really new to it. So she was going for Sleeping with Sirens and Pierce the Veil. And I kind of honestly took that as my opportunity to show them, you know, the ghost inside and for today and stuff like that. I was like, you know, while you're here, we might as well get the most, you know, (laughs) bang for our bucks. I'm going to show you everything I listen to, too. That was like. The monster stage. Yeah, you know? that was, it was the like, monster stage. Just, I remember that. You know. And Diego looked at that. When we went to the last show, um, Diego looked at that. I could see him being drawn to it like a force field magnet pulling him. And I could see my wife going, no! Yeah. Come over here. There's a great acoustic set <laughs> like, going on Dad, over here. Dad, I have to see this. I have to see this. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I'd, I'd start running into these people, you know, each year and I'd start to discuss things with them. And, you know, I ran into Emma, I think, the, the next year. I told her to come down early and help at the show. And, you know, Emma was having a little trouble here and there in school, like as so many people do. But we kind of made a deal. High school is really hard for me, as it is for most teenagers, um, just being a teenager in high school. And I remember you being like, if you can get through that, you know, we'll set something up. Then it was the summer after I had graduated high school and we came out and did just so I was a week and a half, maybe two weeks um, that you were kind of just like, I will show you all of the different kind of areas and what people do day to day. And just kind of like took me under your wing and was just like, you'll by the end of these few weeks, you'll understand, you know, who does what and how everything just kind of functions and different uh different inner workings of it. That's a fascination that I've seen and talked to other people about throughout the years, and that is consistent. You kept bringing in younger generations of kids, but they would watch people at the tour, whether they were taking photos backstage or they were in a booth selling something, or they could see that they could be a part of it. And they immediately, my son, I saw him wanting to just, he was pissed because that was the last one. He was pissed. Oh, yeah. Didn't he tell you he's leaving on the road next week? He <laughs> dropped out of school. He's heading out. Hell no. He's <laughs> going to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you also, what I really appreciate is that you said, hey, if you graduate from high school, then we can talk. I made a lot of deals with people through the years there. Um, it goes all the way back to working in the clubs of Los Angeles at the Hollywood Palladium. Uh, there was a young guy that would be sitting on the on the loading dock every every afternoon when there was a super metal show. Right. And I'll be honest, it wasn't my favorite. Like, you know, they were great show, but Napalm Death and, <laughs> and you know, like- My wife, Se- no! Sepultura, <laughs> like these really hard metal shows, yeah. you know? And I would ask him, why aren't you in school? And he would go, oh man, I'm, school's kind of lame and sucks. His name was Jesse Brown. And that was the first time I said, you know, man, I'm going to make it a point never to let you in a show again. unless you bring me a report card with some passing grades. But if you bring a report card with passing grades, I will let you into the show and you can start helping me. That's cool. You know, you bring me that. Um, Jesse came with his report card from high. He got 
passing grades. They were oh, they were getting better. You know, he brought me every again. He kept bringing Brad. He, um, the coolest thing for me was when I went to uh, New York. He graduated with a law degree from Hofstra, uh, and oh. uh, you know, got into UCLA. Ended up doing that, and um, I still, you know, Jesse's a dear friend um, now. But like education, I, I'm a firm believer in certain levels of education. I was a firm believer in this music that I was part of. And the more people I could turn on to it, the better I felt. I want to thank you for Warp Tour and all that, all that you do for um, all the young music and starting music and giving them a chance. Because before I ever went to Warp Tour, I kind of had a stereotype about young people, period, actually. and. Mm -hmm. Um, that it just changed how I felt. I met so many wonderful people, um, to watch everybody enjoy the music was just outstanding for me, you know, and I really appreciate the opportunity to have changed my attitude about that. It's like how I got into meeting Madden Mullins. Yeah. I like, yeah, I had you, when we had, I we got went to see August Burns Red. I'll like explain to you and Olivia they're loud. Oh yeah, Bella's like got a dial. Like she is on the comeback oh, trail. Like uh, pandemic be damned. It's we're like coming back. Right, since we're coming back and grandma and her are gonna be at many, many shows. And uh, you know, that's someone I, I'll miss by new not be seeing them every year on the road. You know, um and this daycare center, like it was like, okay, you're gonna put your parents in there. Like they're gonna be there all day long. Well, that was a rude awakening. No, we knew that there was, um, he sold me on the reverse daycare tent. Only it probably took us about four years to find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gave up on that idea when we realized we could get through the day without it. In all the years I went to Warp Tour, I probably spent a grand total of a half an hour in the reverse daycare tent. We talk about Brian's mom spending only like 30 minutes of all those years in the tent. Mm -hmm. um, I really, you know, she she gave me a lot of stuff that you know, she got turned on to out there at Warp Tour. You know, she found a lot of bands that she likes the sound of. Like, you know, she likes the We The Kings style music. But like she said, we used to watch a bunch of interviews and she like, she, you know, fell in love with the culture and the personalities behind it to the point where she would go watch Every Time I Die With Me and didn't even like the music at all. But she had seen an interview you know, where Keith had said something she thought was really insightful and she would just watch him on stage like, nah, you know, this is cool. I enjoy this, even though you know, I'm not a fan of the music. Parents kind of took on like a tactical like approach. There was more to a parent at the Warp Tour than just being there. Well, I also enjoyed very much being the mom at Warp Tour. Um, I would hold backpacks while people would go in the, the mosh pit. Um, People would see me standing in the back and they would bring over their girlfriend and say, you know, she's about to pass out. Can you do anything to help her? And, you know, I'd give her water or I'd have an umbrella and I'd put the umbrella up. So I, I really enjoyed. And I do remember one time we were um, at Beartooth and my daughter and my niece were standing next to me and he called for a circle pit. And I just remember grabbing the girls and pulling them in and going, I know what's coming. Miguel and Patriciana spoke highly of what their mom's role was out there. I'm the the driver, the um, the one that that figures out what everybody's going to eat. 
uh, holds everybody's purses. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd hold the purses in the backpacks while people were in the photo pits, and um, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah, there was, that was um, kind of there was one of the dates in Philly that I had used all of my memory cards, and I ran out. I didn't have any more. That was in Camden, and it was about I don't know 140 degrees in the shade, and I had to find like a CVS or something to go buy memory cards um at like you know the middle of the day and you know run down the street outside the venue get directions in camden and then get the memory cards and then rush them back because i'm pretty sure that you ran out and paramore hadn't played yet or some some big name so i had to get quickly get these memory cards and get them back to you yeah so so that's the mom job but i also did a lot of my own networking because by that point, we had our own company, Music Box. We did a lot of local music promotion. I put on shows at the local venues and stuff. So in between running errands and carrying people's gear and driving, I was doing some of my own networking. That was one of the most awesome thing about Warped Tour was all the great people you could meet, the people from the nonprofits, um, the bands, everything from the well-established to bands just starting out bands that were following the tour, um, the, the people in catering, uh, the behind the scenes, you know, just everybody that you could meet. And of course, meeting Kevin, I remember the first time I met you, I was thrilled to death. And, and I think I sent you a picture of that because like you were, uh, you know, you were the, the dad of the warp tour of the punk rock summer camp. <laughs> you just dropped that bomb on me. Like, Oh yeah, I was there promoting my shows and networking. And, you know, it's like, I drove my kids, the car broke down. We did the first time. And now they're promoting shows, which right. was awesome. That's like, you know, that, that was super cool to hear that, you know, and it's unique too that, you know, technology has changed so much now today where you could imagine, you know, user groups like warp tour moms or warp tour dads, or these people just, they're, just like how the kids found their own tribe yeah. in coming to Warp Tour, a lot of these parents found their own tribes too. There were Facebook groups. Yeah. That they would form and kind yeah. of go through and trade information on different things. And there things. are a lot of like minded parents there and they found their own people too. It wasn't just for the kids. I was saying to Tori today, you know, it's so cool to be able to be here and speak with you about this. And I know because I remember one story showing me the parent tent and me peeking in there, but I never walked in there. I was. Every warp tour I ever went to, I was out with her and, and listening to the bands and I literally fell in love with all the the music. You know, she just she mentioned interviewing the Somerset and Sleeping with Sirens. I love those bands. I have some of them on my phone now. I would listen to without her, you know, there's just so much great music. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna be wasting my time in a parent tent. <laughs> we were we were joking about a funny memory earlier today about uh, one time she wanted to join me on the barricade for Sleeping with Sirens. We were right in the front and the crowd surfer started coming and she didn't know what to do. So she was just ducking to the ground. And it's funny because during these interviews, you know, it's I realized like how sometimes how like focused I had to be like, you know, uh, Brian, you know, reminded me of something. And, and I, you know, I had to apologize, you know, it's apologizing that, you know, I'm up early i'm working i'm powering got a million things on my mind and then brian reminded me that it, it, this wasn't the first time i'd, I'd talked to him yeah my, my mom's got to show you her bag here my kevin lyman autographed backpack <laughs> there were i think three or four years in a row where whenever my mom would see you walk in the line before the show 
should run over and get you to sign that bag. So uh, there's probably, I think, four different Kevin Lyman signatures on that bag right now. You were moving and you were working. And now having these conversations, you know, kind of realizes that you, you've met a lot of people out there in the world. Right. And, and you hope that one point you cross, cross their paths again, you know. Um, and, you know, they had, a, they had a, a tradition, Brian's family, before they came to the show. I don't know how, if, if you'd be a fan of this or not, but we used to uh, um, go to Wawa right before the shows. Um, and in New Jersey, it was easy. And even in Orlando, they had Wawa's down there, which made it real easy for us. And we would grab sandwiches, we'd grab uh, sliced apples, you know, peanut butter cups, whatever. And we'd wrap it up in a towel and put it in our bag um, and we would sneak a bunch of food. Well, that was a battle we also had kind of sometimes with venues. Uh-huh. Because people would come at 11 o'clock and be there till 9 till at nine. night. Till 9, they could die. And, well, you know, I felt that letting a person in with a sandwich or an apple or when we, we talked about water before – wasn't going to hurt your food and beverage sales. Right. You know, you let the kid in because they're going to buy a meal. They're going to spend money at your venue. So it was a constant battle because they would say no outside food or drink. And I'd be like, let him. So we'd be at the front gate. And notoriously, and it was no offense, these people are trained a certain way to do their job. Every right. concert, they take everything to. away. They have to. So Warped Kids were ingenious, man. One, they knew how to sneak into the shows. Two, they knew how to sneak food and things just in case they got the wrong security guard because I would be out there like running up and down the lines and Sully and, and the crew was always looking and then we would have to get the supervisor to say, if the kid has a peanut butter sandwich, it's not going to ruin your day. Right. Amanda and Linda Lugwood were very interesting because, uh, you know, that reverse daycare center because right so far, none of the parents were in that daycare center. So I'm building tents, I'm bringing all the staff, but it doesn't sound like anyone's sitting in them. <laughs> I did go to the um, reverse daycare for parents uh, and cooled off, uh, watched watched some movies, uh, had some water, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed movies. some of the, the concerts myself. I did find a band that I, band or two that I enjoyed and, um, but I did text the kids a lot, you know, are you drinking enough? Are you doing this? Are, you know, just, you know, you, it was kind of scary to, there's a lot of people there and it was really hot. Real Big Fish was one of the, the biggies that I remember. And it, we had come to find out I had some other friends who listened to them too. So it was, that was kind of cool. We touched on like working with Tiffany a little bit, like working in the tent. But after Emma had come on her one and a half week trip, the job she was out offered was to work in the parents' tent. And, you know, it's one of those things. It, it, dealing with parents is tricky. But I mean, at that point, I had already started working shows in the Twin Cities. So I had a little bit of experience like dealing with difficult people at that point. Um, and when it comes down to it, it really is like kind of like a customer service job. Um, just like keeping the parents level headed. And I really didn't know what I was in for when I started. And I just kind of, you know, I figured it out. Um, but it was definitely a learning curve, figuring out like what... I mean, it was different parents every day. So it was like, depending on where we were in the country, it was, you know, different demographics of people. Yep. And it was, it was interesting, but I definitely, I got a much thicker skin that summer, for sure. <laughs> there was a moment in time, a lot of us will remember around 2009, the economy crashed. Oh, of okay? course. And this was the next big kind of shift for me in the sense of that we needed to 
I was looking at it and going, wait a second, you know, financially, you know, and to, and to be honest, I feel we, we better start preparing for the next one. It's, it's, you know, we talk about the roaring 20s. That's right. all I hear, the roaring right. 20s, roaring 20s. What follows the roaring 20s? <laughs> And, and and everything seems to be in a much faster cycle when, it, when history repeats cycles itself. Are Instead of nine years to the to the crash, it's going to be in three. <laughs> ten, ten to 12 months, you know. So I had to make this decision one year, and I said, we're going to let parents in free. Okay? Uh, so we went to parents. That was a hard decision. It was. We went to, to parents get in free, uh, and it was like – a lot of discussion, a lot of like, wow, you're giving up a lot of tickets, a lot of things. But I said, this is going to be a moment in time that people are going to look for value. Warped, I always felt, was a value. But I thought people were making really hard decisions, like where their summer money well, was, was going to go. go. 100%. And Absolutely. So we, we looked at that, you know. The, also, the other idea of that is you let the parents in free, but in the reverse daycare tent, you have a martini bar where you charge $30 a cocktail. <laughs> There was times where there would be like, depending on the Milwaukee was big, like buy a round for the tent. You know, they're always drinking oh, beer up in Milwaukee. Nice. So <laughs> parents would buy a round for the tent. But that tent was, you know, we would get up to a lot of people. Sabrine, my daughter's first job was to give the parents their wristband and check them in. And Sabrine runs. She's she like, you know, she knows. the yeah, she, she created. A- she had rules out there. And it'd be funny because I swear they were like some people would grab a kid at the 7-Eleven and drag him down there and say, this is our kid. We want free tickets. Oh, because, no. Oh, yeah. It was, there were so many. <laughs> really? Oh, it goes under that, like, no good deed goes unpunished thing, actually. Like, so we were out there trying to work it out, and I'd get radio calls all the time. And it'd be like a 19-year-old with her 15-year-old saying, <laughs> you know, I'm the guardian of this person. Yeah, and the guardian's whatever. got, like, piercings and tattoos. And I'd be like, no. And the big, big, big argument. You're trying to like be, do a good things. And it grew into like, there was, we were averaging 600 parents a day at one oh point. Oh my God. So 600 times 40, you know, you can do the math. That's a lot you know, of money. $24,000 of tickets times 40 shows at that point. You know, a million dollars in tickets we gave out to kind of feed this scene to bring this. Right. They had to start creating rules. And Tiffany, you know, I let them kind of, dictate their rules and this leads to this story that like is etched in my mind i had a couple rules uh one of them was uh limit time limits in there so uh only the parents were allowed in there and or a adult chaperone because i know i had my uh siblings take me to concert so i was like okay the older siblings i get it you guys to come in too so you had to be uh escorting a child into the venue and then i know uh we started doing wristbands so then the parents had their own parent wristbands so i had to check that and make sure that they were uh of age to be coming into my tent Mm -hmm. and then once they were in my tent they could hang out and relax and air conditioning but since it was a hot commodity having air conditioning in my tent i always had to keep a time limit on it and that was something that became an issue at times because the parents just wanted to hang out in the air conditioner and don't let anybody else have a chance to sit down um so that was one of my main rules was just the time limit and just making sure that everybody was staying at peace and having a good time inside my tent the tent was really cute because it had like a little um, fence all around it on the vinyl and everything so i kind of played off of the the fencing and all the different signs so i had signs inside the tent like we had special rules uh that they had to follow um and there was signage everywhere i even had to have a security guard um to to help 
control all the parents, but I would make uh, announcements about every 30 minutes, just uh, giving the rules and just uh, the same thing every 30 minutes, pretty much. And just letting them know what was happening. If there was any changes like an emergency evacuation, I would let them know that at the same time, letting them know there's only a 30 minute wait. Um, so I would just, I was always up there talking to them, speaking to them. I would even pass out water. So they got the hot commodity of the uh, tour water. So I would pass those out to all the parents and get to talk to them one-on-one -on -one a little bit, give them a little bit of a rundown of all the rules and things. I think it was a great, a great thing that you had. I wish that more festivals, more concerts would have something like that. I think it really reassured the parents that their kids were in a safe environment. Even my own parents, they never took me to Warp Tour, but the first year I was out with the reverse daycare, uh, they came out to see me and they loved it. And now all they could talk is highly of Warp Tour and how safe of a place it was. So I think having that, that parent tent really made it a great place and made it safe for everyone. Everyone had a great time overall. But Tiffany reminded me of one story. I actually had to bring you in or the mom brought you in because uh, there was an issue with the time waiting. They didn't want to only spend 30 minutes in the tent. They wanted to spend longer. And I was having a day where all the all the parents wanted to be in my tent that day. And so I kept on trying to let her know and did, she didn't want to move. So we had to call in you. I get a radio call one day. We're in Pomona, California. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm very close with the police out there, the fire department, the security company. They're all my people. Town. They're Southern yeah. California. They grew up my town. And I get this radio call. I was just sitting down to eat, long day in Pomona. And they're like, Kevin, you need to come over to the administration office. Uh -oh. I'm like, I cannot wait. They go, no, Kevin, you really need to come over to the administration. I go in and Tiffany, who's one of the nicest people you're going to ever meet, you can just tell by the yeah, interview, she's sweet. is like, Kevin, I tried everything. But this woman is so mad. And I go in and she's there talking to the security guard. And I, I had to go through this little room and there's like the police, there's the venue people. And they're all oh. hiding. They're kind of hiding. They're like, Kevin, you got to deal with this. So I walk in and I go, you know, excuse me. Like, you know, hey, why are you so upset? And she's like, I was told that I had to get out of this seat out of 30 minutes. There, it wasn't on the website. And I said, well, you know, what's there? And she goes, just a piece of cardboard that says 30 minute time limit. That's not an official sign. <laughs> so I'm trying to appease her. And I'm like, look, ma'am, you know, we're just trying to, you know, make Give it, everybody work, make a it all work, give it a break. And then she started and goes, if I knew it was 30 minutes, I would have spent the day out with my kids watching bands, which now I'm really confused, like why she's mad. And then Fran was with me and she's like, she goes, she just wants to be mad. She just wants to be mad. So I'm like, okay, how do I handle this? I go, okay, ma'am, I, I really don't know what to do here, but I know what to do. I need to refund you your ticket money if you have your ticket stuff. And she goes, I got into the show for free. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we oh. can't do that. I go, what can I do? Finally, I'm going, what can I do to make you happy? Because it just seems like you want to be mad. And she just grabbed her stuff and stormed out. And that was the last I ever saw her. But you realize that sometimes customer service is everything in life. You really want to make everyone happy. And there's sometimes... You just can't do it. A mom wants to be mad or okay. a dad wants to be mad. And we would have moms and dads or a fan that would want to be mad. So Tiffany was like, tried her hardest and she felt so bad coming to me for that. I always said someone is having their best day and their worst day on Warp Tour, on the tour, 
And you never know which is going to be which day. And tomorrow it's going to flip. Riding the set lifts differently. Everyone, you want have a thousand people on the road. There's some people having a bad day. Right. And Emma reminded me of one of her bad days. We were in San Antonio and it was like middle of July. And it was like 110 degrees outside. And someone that day had put a thermometer. We were on blacktop, of course. So someone had put a thermometer to the ground and the ground was like 140, 150 degrees or something. So it was really hot out. And um, for those of you that aren't aware, listening, reverse daycare has this big, it's like an air conditioning unit that is kind of like worked into the walls of the tent. So it keeps the tent air conditioned as best as it can. and when it got really hot out, which it was really hot out a lot of the time, it would overheat and start blowing hot air instead into oh, this, no. you know, enclosed tarp tent. Uh, so I remember you and me, uh, it was, I mean, this was, some of the parents were pissed because it was, they got stuck in this tent blowing hot air and had to go figure it out for themselves, this place they didn't want to be. Um, and you brought over a huge, like, bucket of dry ice. And we're on your hands and knees just shoving this dry ice into the side of the air conditioning unit to get it to cool down. And it was really like a troubleshooting thing, like most days. Um, But yeah, no, that was one of the days when the parents were pissed. Uh, And it was just, you know, you had to figure it out. You know, we always go back. You met this person who was industrious, got to warp to her early on in their lives. And then they're out there like trying to figure out a problem when it's 140 degrees on asphalt, you know, and, and, and putting it in there. And, you know, as I was going through these things, I was asking some of these people, like, you know, the people who ended up working on it, you know, you know, how it changed their lives. But I've also felt during the pandemic and now as we're kind of hopefully getting to this end of this, that I realized that those people on warp tour even during the pandemic, looked out for each other. Like if, if someone had some work, they brought in someone from Warped. If they're getting work now and they can't take it, they're calling someone they work you with. You know, it's it's another thing too that can be said about that time in your life between the ages of, you know, when you're out on the 17 to 27, that time of your life is when your friends are your family. Yeah. And, and, and I think that those bonds, those are the times of the life that a lot of people spend at the Warped Tour and, and that leaded to, you know, lifelong relationships. I met some of my best friends on the road. Uh, your daughter, Sierra, were good friends. Um, Shay and Tatiana, they were both in uh, production and in sponsorship. So it made me uh, make a lot of great friends out on the road and, and lifelong bonds that never, never, never be able to be made like that again. I mean, a, a safe place for their kids that they, the kids, we're excited about. That's that's what it was. What it was. And then you had Tori, who we followed her path, who was been on a mission since she was like, you know, inception about this whole warp lifestyle. And uh, you know, I asked her her some of her lasting like memories and 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 relationships on Warp Tour. Well, all of my best friends are from the tour. I mean, my roommate that I'm living with now, I met her uh, in the shower room <laughs> of Warp Tour. <laughs> so you know, it's it's. I mean, my whole life kind of evolved and changed from my summer spent on that tour, even though it was a small sliver of the year, it was, it impacted my entire life. The next thing I expect is some sort of wedding invitation or something pretty soon for a warp tour. That'd be like the final thing that, you know, you'll be inviting me to hopefully soon enough. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was really, you know, though I, I, I lost 
you know, touch, you know, with I'm doing my thing and, and there's so many people. But, you know, I, you know, ask Emma what's going, you know, how her, her life's been. Last summer, I was on a bus uh, with Jamie, who runs a voice for the innocent, um, which is a nonprofit supporting um, survivors of sexual violence. And he and I had made a decision where once or twice a day, he really just wanted to come in and talk to the parents because as a kid, he experienced a lot of things that like with his parents and his mom was great. But as a kid, he was always like, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have my mom. So for him, it was really important to be able to go and connect with parents of, you know, all sorts of different kids and give them the resources for not just like sexual assault, but, you know, mental health and all sort of things that kids deal with. Um, so about twice a day, he would come in and tell his story and kind of, you know, let people know about A Voice for the Innocent. Um, so I started doing a raffle every day um, where parents could buy, you know, individual tickets or deals for tickets in bulk and have different bands donate T-shirts or sign posters or sign T-shirts or whatever it was. Um, and each daily raffle was some different item. And I don't remember where this was. I want to say it was somewhere on the East Coast. But um, then I would just have all the parents write their phone numbers on the back of the tickets. And I'd text them and be like, hey, you won. Like, come pick up your, your prize. And there was one mom. And I had two signed I Prevail shirts. One of them was a small. And the other one was like a 2XL. And I had this mom that won. And she was just like, she got really emotional because she was telling me that she's like, my son is severely autistic. And most days it's really, really hard for us to just leave the house. So the fact that this is something that he really, really felt the need to do um, and to be here with like, you know, these tens of thousands of people, like it's huge for him. And the one reason really that we're here is because he really needed to see I Prevail. Like it was a really important band for him. And it was really important that like, really like healing for him was the word that she used to be able to like be there with him uh, to be able to see I prevail. And I was like, well, I have a small and a two X left. She was like, that's what I was worried about. Cause like, he's a big boy and he's going to be so excited. And she like broke down in tears and it was like really powerful being able to like connect with, you know, another mom that was there for like, she was also enjoying herself, you know, and you could tell like how happy she was for her son which in a way my mom was as well, just like having a, a safe space that kids were so excited about. Um, and especially for her with her autistic son as well. You know, then I saw, you know, you know, like the parents, their, their last kind of memories, the Tennessee family had some. That was in Scranton and Scranton is like up in the mountains. And, um, uh, I believe that was the same year Patty had an injury in a photo pit. And so I was doing a lot, again, a lot of running around, bringing things to her and things. And we were there early. And apparently they have snake handlers at the venue that before any event go out, because it's all wooded around the venue. And they, they go out and they have to look under the stages and, you know, in the backgrounds of places and make sure there's no snakes. And, you know, they wrangle these snakes up on these metal things and throw them back in the woods. And I came across the guy who had just caught one and you were in the background watching him and just happened to catch that picture of that guy with a great big snake that came out from one of the stages. 
I do remember one nonprofit now that stood out every single year, and that was the the Truth Booth. Every single time. That was like one of the funnest things. And I even remember, I think from one of our first years going, like walking from the pavilion stage at Nissan Pavilion over to the Shearer Girl stage, I think to go and see Paramore. And I just remember like the truth guy just like squirting everybody with a water gun that year. And just, it, you know, something that was like always interactive and drew people over. We're talking like a punk rock like festival. And Truth was a great nonprofit that we worked with for many years. Mm -hmm. And it was the... Um, smoking education platform um that came out with this for many many years um and 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 was so influential that you know when i went to washington dc towards the end of the tour i had a meeting with them and they brought up in a meeting that they feel that the, through their statistics and things that warp tour ended up saving about two hundred twenty thousand lives from its influence out there wow. but they would do like the silliest things their crew worked hard they'd be doing you know twister or red rover red rover or shadow dancing and You'd have these kids in Mohawks and all these different things going around. And, you know, the Marcus family was kind of wild because they brought up a, a thing, something that had to do with me and a Mohawk. So there was a rumor going around one of the uh, one of the Cleveland shows that you were actually there. And you you were actually this infamous in Cleveland that we all talked about it. And then it spread like like just a rumor mill just spread. And then you were there. And then this guy, I guess, with the green Mohawk and your glasses on. He was you in Cleveland for that day. So you were, you, were, you were living in infamy in Cleveland, but you weren't even there. I had to tell him I was there. I was at every Warped Tour show, but two, you know, in all these years. And, uh, you know, but I really enjoyed talking to them. They were very, very enthusiastic. During this interview, I kept like focusing on this back, like this backdrop that he had for his interview. You uh -huh. know? It's like, you know, being prepared, I'm never really, you know, we backdrops, you know, we have the, our nice little backdrop here. Yes. Fran, Fran, Fran jumps in and changes it up for us while we're out here. But, you know, he had a backdrop, so I had to ask about this. And he started pointing out that he had a whole bunch of warp memorabilia. One of my favorite things, we're going with the old, all right, right here. I got the old Limp Biscuit hat, right? The old original Kango Limp Biscuit hat, which you could buy from Warp Tour. Great, right here. Nice. So I got this autograph by Newfound Glory. So Newfound Glory, I got all their signatures on there. So it's kind of like a pimp, like memorabilia and a tribute to Newfound Glory. Love this thing. Great experience. Met those guys. Great guys. And I just love this pimp hat. So I had to throw that one in there. I always said that Every person at the Warp Tour created their own stories. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether you had to make up your schedule or what you were doing. And, you know, that hat I just became like a memory. And, uh, you know, I apologize to, to Ivy Worley about our audio on, on our interview, but we had some problems. But something really resonated uh, with them. Feed Our Children Now is a organization where you can donate three cans and you would get an early access wristband in to be able to go into the concert early for like um, an hour early, I think it was. And it was a really great organization that I, I really fell in love with because you could like donate and help out the community while also like attending your favorite concert. And you kept that up going right until the end. I remember uh, coming and parking in the biggest parking lot I ever thought in my life. And we were, it was like Disneyland anticipating getting into the venue. And just before we got into that venue, 
I saw piles and piles of donated uh, cans of food, which I thought was fantastic. You know, and I'm, I'm hoping some bands out there or someone's thinking about this, you know, as we reopen up, continue those things. Yes. Continue those things. It's not hard. But then, you know, as we're getting towards the end of this episode, you know, I, I wanted to check in and, and see what, 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 what's been going on with people. And, you know, it wouldn't be right to not check in with Daddy Jerry. <laughs> I was told from Lars Fredrickson from Rancid, Dad Jerry, when we're in town, I expect you there. And he always accommodates me. Uh, you know, now the Interrupters are just an absolutely wonderful band. I love the Interrupters. Uh, and, uh, you know, when they are on the East Coast, like I might go see them up at Asbury Park and maybe New York. And then when they come to Philly, so I'll do two or three shows with them. They're just great, great people, what? great Warped Tour people. The boys in the back are like, we got to go to work. We got jobs. We can't go to anything. We got. We're working. We've got that agent. Daddy yeah. Jerry's getting calls from bands. Hey, you better be here. Yeah. How many of you get a call from Lars Fredrickson from That's Rancid? You know. Cool. You know. You better be at our show. You know. And you know, it was great. Like I said, talking to Tiffany was great. Just hearing about what you know she's been up to. After Warped Tour, I started working more at the local venues in uh, the Bay Area. So I started working for uh, Team San Jose. So they do the Civic National and a couple of the other uh, Broadway and ballet venues in San Jose. And then I also am working at SAP Center and uh, I work in their ticketing. So I work for the Sharks now. So moved a little bit from uh, concerts and touring, but I'm still in it in events and things like that and being in it hasn't been easy in the live event no, space right now right now but you know as we we tell me and you talk a lot about where we're going and how it's all coming back and you know i was asking emma how she's been you know biding her time a little bit after doing all those little you know projects and that couple weeks um with you was one of the things that made me realize that like this was a industry that I could actually work in. Cause I mean, being from Waterloo, Iowa, you don't really get like, we had our own DIY shows and a good solid local music scene, but you don't really get the exposure to be like, this is something that I could actually like have, you know, a career in. Um, so at that point, yeah, I had started, I went to a really small private uh, music college. You actually came to talk one time too. Uh, McNally Smith college of music in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and at that point it was 20, 2017. And I remember, you know, like shooting you an email and being like, you know, if you have any free time, like I'm here and I'll be at the panel, et cetera. And, uh, I remember you and Kate Truscott came to the venue that I was at, or the venue I was working at. And then I went to the panel you guys were at, um, and I spent quite a while actually afterwards talking with Kate after the panel. Um, cause I mean, at that point I was about to graduate college and I was just kind of had no clue what I was doing. Uh, and I remember I was on the bus to get to the airport to fly home when you sent me a job offer since warped I've done, I mean, I did a year of Coachella and stagecoach. I was supposed to be back last year, but obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I am based in Minneapolis, so I work for First Avenue as well. Um, and we have like six or seven different venues all over the Twin, Twin Cities. So I just kind of bounce around and uh, am a event venue staff there, which is amazing job. Love it there. Um, and then this last year, I am back. I'm working at a van store. 
ironic enough, which is, it's been great because it is, you know, it's a job in a pandemic. And if it's going to be a retail job, like you were saying, at least it's fans and it's a, it's a good family that I've already felt I've been a part of for a few years now. Yeah. You know, so, you know, sitting back, they go, what's your legacy? These little things like you hear that. Okay. Founder way. Doing okay. Well, I know everybody's had a hard time in the last year and a half. Uh, and, and like you said, we, we debate back and forth about your industry and mine. And I think it's going to come back roaring so hard that we're almost not going to be prepared for it as, as well as we should be. Yeah, I, I would agree in, 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 on most of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it on the— We'll fight later. We'll, we'll, fight, we'll fight it out on the, on the course tomorrow, you know? Or Thursday when we get together, but you know, um, but the best that, that family that all of a sudden was like promoting shows and networking at Warp. I ask him, what are you guys doing now? <laughs> About six years ago, uh, you know, I had so much fun taking Hallie to all the shows, and and the kids were getting older, and I just started to think about, do I, you know, am I going to be that old lady in the wheelchair at Warp Tour that they're you know boosting around? And and I thought I, I just need to stay connected to the music industry to many of the amazing people that we've met over the years um, that we still connect with. And um, so I pivoted and I started managing bands. So now I manage a, hand, a couple of bands, this Modern Viper Club and the Carolyn. And then I also, um, this during the pandemic, pivoted to start working and doing artist development at an indie little boutique label out of Georgia. So, yeah, I mean, Warped Tour has had like this lasting effect on almost all of our lives. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, great. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. But what was really interesting was, you know, Amanda's mother, who was a little skeptical about coming to the festival and everything. But what she told me, what she was doing, I was like, yeah, okay. My time going to Warp Tour and really being a part of that music scene um, made me really want to work in the music industry. Uh, I remember when Warp Roadies first started airing. I was like, this is just really what I want to do with my life. And it was right around when I was 17, 18, trying to figure out what I wanted. Um, so I did eventually go on. I started working in venues and um, continued with an events production doing music festivals. I'm very excited that she's able to work in an industry that she truly, truly loves and cares about. And make money. And money, yes. It falls into my whole theory of icky guy. You know, parents, you got to do what you you love, what you're good at, what the world needs. But how do you make money is usually one of the things. Um, Yeah, Amanda runs the box, all the ticketing and everything for the Bottle Rock Festival. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, which was very, very cool. You know, I play golf with the guy that runs that. He's super cool. There were so many stories, Tony. I could, I talked for hours, you know, Xavier had to do a lot. There's lots of, lots and lots of, you know, interviews. The interviews weren't, you know, I could, I could have interviewed more, many more people. And no, it's really, really exciting to see this side of Warp Tour and how it wasn't just, you know, my youth. It was my, my family experience. You know, and, and that kind of was going to lead us to, especially today, man, you don't know Brian Dale. But Brian Dale is a crew person who has worked for years and years. And Brian hasn't had it easy, but he's always had a good attitude. He's always a positive force. Um, his laugh, I can't even duplicate because it's so infectious. It was became like a warp Tour calling card. Like if you, you know, his laugh was deep. But, you know, this morning I, he did something really nice for Sabrina. And I, I, I wanted to call him and say thank you. And uh, I got him and he was at the hospital. And I go, what, what happened to you? And he goes, well, last night um, 
he he lives in the area and he rides his bike. He doesn't drive and he rode his bike over. Uh, there's a local bar like a lot of people have. We have what do right, we right, have right. up the street here, yes, that Rancho do. or the something rancho. up. Oh, you know, you, you go in there, there, but people like us tend to take action. And he saw two people fighting and he thought Ugh. he could jump in and break it up. And I get him and he's like, I'm in the hospital. I'm getting stitches in my head. Um, I try to break up this fight and pretty much I took a beating for it. And yeah. uh, he was getting 11 stitches in one spot, nine in another. But this kind of leads to our charity uh, um, of um, a person that I, I do every t- He's so inspiring. His name is Matthew Leone. Uh, he was in a band called Medina Lake. Mm-hmm. And he had a very similar situation where he tried to intervene when two people were fighting on the street in Chicago. You know, and, and he was beaten severely and to an inch of death, basically, Ugh. you know, um, and he's pretty much dedicated his life to help others. So this is why we're going to be featuring the charity bomb, uh, which dude, which dude, he puts on great shows. You would appreciate right? because you like old music. He does like <laughs> the strange 80s show and the strange 90s shows where they have uh, where they have people like covering those bands. They're super fun. Um, but we're going to feature uh, Charity Bomb today as our, our charity. Right on. In 2010, the summer of 2010, when the band was on break from touring, uh, I, we were, I was leaving a writing session. This is in Chicago at Nathan's Place, uh, my brother and the singer. And I, and, uh, I encountered, uh, I heard a woman screaming for help. And you're, you're quite familiar with the story. Uh, long story short, I intervened. Um, and I was put in a coma with a, a third of my skull removed for a week. So when I, when I, when I came to from that, Nathan was there. It was like, the, you know, the first thing that I saw when I opened my eyes and we had this sort of like codependent off, you know, like I was trying to act like nothing, you know, it was no big deal. It didn't hurt. And he was trying to act like, you know, oh yeah, you're totally fine. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was quite an ordeal. What I learned when I woke up, though, he told me that it was like number one trending on Twitter and the overwhelming amount of support and love that I got from around the world is um, really what we attribute my survival to. So the gratitude that I felt from that, from experiencing that kind of love is something that you just feel like you could never possibly pay back. And so Nathan and I devoted our lives to um, philanthropy at that point. And the reason that you play a role in it is because one of the first things I was told about was the, the effort that you guys made on the tour to, you know, um, drum up donations. And I got so many wonderful letters and, you know, contributions that, that you and Warp Tour and the whole community made that, it, I mean, it was just, it was so inspirational. So, yeah, that that, that led me down this path. I, you don't even, you can't put words to that story, right. you know. But I got to tell you, every time you, I get an email from Matthew, it's so elegantly written. It's like lyrics. You know, me, I'm like, 
yeah, no problem. We got you. Or do this. And he sends the most eloquent emails that can't be ignored. And what he's doing, you know, he's doing something amazing in Paisley Park. And he's got, he just, he's fearless when it comes to doing good for others now. So if you'd ever like to get involved with him, I asked him, you know, how you might want to get involved with Charity Bomb. Charitybomb.org is our website. Uh, Charitybomb.org is our Instagram and Facebook handles. Uh, You can go on there and find out what we're doing with our Operation Gen Z EQ, which is uh, we're using EQ and social emotional learning as a preventative mental illness solution. So, I mean, this this curriculum is fantastic. So we're we're curating different modules, uh, different methods of ways that people can, um, ways to impart this curriculum on the children uh, through means that they naturally participate in, like a gamified app, you know, and, and it, you just learn decision-making, um, you know, confidence, empathy, emotional resilience. And at a time like this in the world, it's never been more important for our children to have this. And now I'd like to get into some fan stories. And this is from Janet Garnett, Joe Garnett's mom. I took my son and his friends to the Vans warp Tour for many years before they could drive. I always loved getting to see different bands I would never seen if I hadn't come with my son, and it is some of my favorite memories with him. The craziest moment at the Warp Tour that I will never forget, and I will never let my son forget, came in 2012 in Homedale, New Jersey, when of mice and men were playing on the main stage. I had seen plenty of mosh bits before this day, but this was the first and only time I experienced a wall of death. The leader singer stood up on the monitors and began to spread the crowd, directing them with his hands. My son instantly knew what was happening and moved us to a safe area where we could see the pit without being inside of it. The singer told the crowd, when this song drops, you know what to do. The music began to pick up and the singer counted down from five, four, three, two, one. When he finished his count, the entire crowd rushed towards the center from each side and collided. The sound of bodies crashing together has never left me. As we all looked on in shock at the scene, that just unfolded. We turned our heads towards the sound booth to see a local security guy who was probably in his mid-50s. He had a look of terror on his face that I can't put into words. Throughout that entire song, he looked in horror with his jaw on the ground at the sea of bodies flying around in the pit. His face during that moment is forever burned into my memory. I think, Janet, that's the same look when I say dinner's up at Thanksgiving at my house and you have 60 to 70 people rushing towards the Thanksgiving dinner. Thank you for your comments. And this is from Mickey Miller. I have been to festivals, concerts, and have thrown all-ages shows. I have never in my lifetime seen a music festival like Warp Tour. The community of young kids and young adults showed more compassion for each other than any adult ever has. They helped each other. They hugged each other. They showed what humanity and kindness really is. I watched from the front row and from the back with my three kids. They related to everyone there. My youngest was about 10 when he first went. He suffered from severe social anxiety and Warped Tour brought him out of it. He learned to trust and that people were kind. I was a vendor there a few times and watching all the kids come running in with love on their faces was priceless. Kevin made an impact not only on everyone that attended, but on my kids and myself as well. Well, thank you, Mickey, for the kind words and... uh, Hope everything's going great with your family. Thank you so much. And right now, I'd like to give a Patreon shout out. Thank you to Daniel Durkowski for subscribing to us on Patreon and helping us support our nonprofits. We'd like to thank you to all our guests for coming on the show and sharing stories from your Warp Lives. 
Thanks to all the listeners for tuning back in and make sure that you leave us a review if you've enjoyed listening to the or, or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Okay, y'all. So please make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok to know when you new things are coming out and get your own story on the show. I'm going to need to do, interview a bunch of people coming up for many, many new episodes. So jump in. I'll hopefully drag you into a, a, one of those conversations. And if I do it right, we only do it once. If I mess it up, we have to do it twice. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon and hear uncut versions of all the interviews uh, from every episode, all for just $5. And we donate some of the proceeds to, to all Kevin's favorite charities. If you have any stories to share or want to pitch us an episode idea, you can text us at 818-863-6445. But it is hot today, Tony. It so is hot. With, let's see if Clearly. we can get through this. We want to thank Xavier Bradley, our, our producer, Vivian Wang, our executive producer, whose wedding. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's so we haven't right. heard much from her lately. She's probably busy with getting ready for Ow. the wedding. Biyada Shemtov, who's been giving us a lot of uh, information and research, helping out, getting out there, and, and promoting what we're doing. Oh, our producer, Fran Lyman, who for set direction today, and uh, Sabrine Lyman, who's out buying furniture. <laughs> Guess who we have to thank? Oh to close no, go this show. go, boy! Yes, take it away, kid. Diego Aratia. Woo!